HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here uh, today. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli um, of Delanima, Lepicho, Lartuzzi, and Anfora. And I'm here today with someone I feel a, uh, a certain kinship uh, with, um, someone who's also a fellow, fellow New Yorker, um, someone who had a, uh, an, an interesting career path, worked in restaurants, left to be a, to work for a distributor, a great distributor, and then came back into restaurants. And uh, same thing kind of happened in uh, in my career. Um, I uh, started in the kitchen uh, for a very short time, and then worked. Uh, ended up working at Vinifera Imports, and uh, had a, a great experience there. And I remember the conversation going out to uh, Dominic Nocherino's office out in Ronkonkoma, Long Island, and telling him, Dominic, I was offered a job as a sommelier at Babo. I am going to be leaving. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. And he said, Joe, you're absolutely out of your mind. No one, no one leaves working for a distributor to go work as a sommelier. All the sommeliers come and work for distributors. But I'm here with, with Dane Campbell, head sommelier of the Musket Room, and he has done uh, just that. <laughs> the uh, now, now is the head sommelier of the Michelin Star Restaurant, uh, the Musket Room. Um, super unique uh, wine list. The only one that I know of anywhere outside of New Zealand that has a New Zealand focus to it. Um, and, and Dane was, uh, was our wine representative at Indie Wines as well. Um, right. welcome, right. welcome to In the Drink. Thank you, Joey. It's really, really good to have you on the show, man. Um, I, I really happy to, uh, <laughs> read, I read your bio before the show and you give a big shout out to, uh, to our beverage director over at Lartuzzi, Catherine Gerties. Uh, I love Catherine. Who, uh, who you've, you worked with before at, uh, at Enoteca. Yeah. Catherine and I, I think, made a, a great team, and we're still very good friends. 
that I mean that's that's great to hear. Catherine is uh, for sure a shining star in in our company. I'm super super lucky to uh, to work with her. So tell us what what drew you back into the restaurant industry after working uh, working at Indie Wines. Well, I think also I I should say you and I share a tremendous amount in common. I have kitchen experience as well. Previous to getting into wine, I was working in kitchens. Okay. Uh, so I think you and I share that similar work ethic that comes from being graduated out of the kitchen. Yeah. Well, I you know you went to you went to the CIA and have some real kitchen chops. I was. I'm, I'm a culinary school dropout. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't really uh, I don't think I was I lasted long enough to 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 get that kind of toughness, but. Uh, um, but, but, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, we both, uh, we're, we're pretty much the same age, grew up on, on Long Island. I went to yeah. high school in Long Island, nice. um, and grew up in Queens. So we for offices out there in Ronkonkoma. Dom, oh. Dominic was a good friend of uh, mine when I was coming up in the restaurant world out in Long Island. Oh, really? So Dominic had words of wisdom for you. Oh yeah. I've been in their, uh, uh, corporate offices before tasting some really delicious vintage wines. Yeah, so I mean, uh, if you guys don't know about, it, so Dominic Nutri is the the owner of uh, Vinifera Imports. Um, back in the the late seventies, he's really one of the first to to bring in a, a good amount of high quality Italian um, wines to yeah. the to the country. Oh, yeah. And you know, I think it was really revolutionary at the time. There were, how many all Italian wine distributors were there? I don't know if there were any. And now was, you, you yeah. have plenty of distributors who just focus on that sort of thing. Yeah, Dominic's for sure the godfather of that. Yeah. But he's su- and he's super old school in in his uh, thought. <laughs> yeah, we used to do killer uh, Barolo and uh, Brunello dinners together. Uh, at that time, I was working at the Lake House, which still exists in uh, Bayshore. Mm-hmm. Really fantastic restaurant. All right, and uh, and so yeah, Dominic's based out there, and he owns the warehouse. So that's the crazy oh, thing that, about that it. warehouse is a very special place to visit. Yeah, you can always find. I remember when we opened Delanima. I, I knew about like little gems that weren't on the price list that were like tucked in corners in the warehouse, and I was like Dominic, can I get that case of you know eighty eight Jacosa? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I inventoried it, you know, <laughs> when I was working for yeah. you. I know you have it there. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's tons <laughs> of hidden gems all all throughout that place. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really uh, really cool. So before you worked at at Indy, you're at Enoteca, you're at the Lake House. At Gotham Bar and Grill. Yeah, Gotham was my first restaurant in Manhattan. I was actually uh, Eric Zillier's seller assistant when he was running the wine program over there. Great, and uh, and then you um, and then worked at Indy. And how long were you at Indy for? Um, it was just around one year. I, I I launched the company with Christian. Christian Troy is another Long Island native. So uh, when he was starting Indy Wineries with his partner Summer, mm-hmm. uh, he asked me to get involved. And I was working at Enotech at the time, and I, I was doing 12-hour days just <laughs> helping him get things started. And then that transitioned into a full-time role of me being a sales rep for him. Great. And what, what brought you back into the restaurant industry? Um, it was actually the opportunity to open Nomad. I was part of the Nomad opening team. Wow, I did not know that at all. <laughs> There's a lot of things uh, about me that are a little hidden secrets. I guess. Okay. And uh, how was that experience? That was awesome. And I actually truly value that um, experience because I then had the opportunity of opening the musket room. So a lot of what I learned in the opening process Mm -hmm. of Nomad, I was able to translate into being part of the opening for musket room, which was uh, absolutely uh, incredibly helpful. Okay, so you know, when when we first met, 
you really had uh, a love and and interest in uh, in Italian wines. I think yeah. we shared we really shared that uh, when you got the job at the at the Musket Room. Um, this is a, already a New Zealand focused list. Had you been interested and curious about New Zealand wines before? Was there was there anything that that had had drawn you to this kind of New Zealand list, or was it that working at the Musket Room is what spurred on that that uh, that passion for you? Uh, I think it definitely was just working at the musket room and being part of that. Um, we have a master sommelier who's from New Zealand who wrote our wine list. So having the opportunity to work with and taste with him in the last year and a half has been just an incredible adventure. And uh, Cameron Douglas is the, the first master sommelier to have gained that certification coming from New Zealand as a Kiwi-born person. Uh, so... Uh, having the opportunity to now call him a friend and a colleague is it's just incredible. And he's really the um, the catalyst for me in falling in love with New Zealand. And New wow, Zealand so wine. I imagine that Cameron has a lot of pride in his uh, in his country's wines. Oh, yeah, that's a, a key word for, I think, all things Kiwi. Kiwi people and uh, are just incredibly prideful people. Mm-hmm. Very proud of their country and their culture. And it's a beautiful country and culture. <laughs> And what is that experience like? How do you how do you work with someone who lives on the other side of the world? Uh, email is a wonderful thing. <laughs> uh, Cameron and I, you know, we email each other back and forth all the time, of course, but uh, we also keep in contact over the phone quite mm-hmm. often. My uh, weekly chats are with Cameron are uh, something I look forward to. Yeah. So will uh, he go visit a vineyard and say, "Hey, is this available in New York?" Look for it, check it oh, out. Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. The time uh, difference makes it so that usually when I'm wrapping up service around like midnight or one ish, it's about like five o'clock there. So he's usually starting uh, his vineyard tours around that time and he'll like take a break. Oh, Dane, I'm tasting some wine. Uh, hold on for a moment. And you're like, I'm closing up the restaurant. <laughs> you know, in Manhattan and you're in like the you're in the vineyards of New Zealand tasting yeah. wine. It really keeps uh. <laughs> it keeps me in touch, I think, and you know he's a tremendous asset. Having an MS as your mentor, I think, is something that's very unique. So, what what are some special. of the things that you've learned from him? Um, one of the most important things I've learned from him is our restaurant is very uh, tasting menu driven. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we do offer a la carte, but we end up doing a lot of tastings. So we also offer wine pairings. So Cameron has taught me a lot in the food and wine pairing philosophy. When he comes to town, which is pretty much quarterly, he and I will sit down and uh, Chef Matt will uh, cook us some stuff off the cuff and we'll just sit there with a a table full of glasses and we'll just literally test out uh, different wines and how they match Mm. with Chef's food. That's something that is incredibly important to Cameron and uh, he's instilled that importance in me in allowing Chef's cuisine to shine but utilizing our wines to support his flavors. Okay, and let's talk a little bit more about the wines that are that are being produced there. It's not just Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir. No. What what else is going on? What what is uh, what are other important grapes? What are grapes that are that have some momentum, some regions produced? Tell me what what what's the the finger on the pulse of New Zealand wine right now? Um, well, Sauvignon Blanc certainly started it. I mean, you can't. Uh, talk about New Zealand wine without talking about Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, that really is what put it on the map. But um, I think now things that I'm getting very excited about are are Rieslings. Central Otago is certainly known for 
producing really exceptional Pinot Noir, but their soil is so mineral rich with volcanic influence and just schisty soils that the Rieslings coming from there are incredible and very, very exciting. Um, I recently did a masterclass with Bob Campbell, who's a MW from Auckland, and he taught a class focused solely on Chardonnay. And um, that was a really interesting experience. And I think Chardonnay is one of those varietals that is really uh, taking off for New Zealand as well, mm -hmm. all throughout the country. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of things that are going on. Syrah is another varietal that I think, uh, uh, you know, like Hawks Bay examples of Syrah right. are really something stunning. And some of the red, red grapes that have gotten me excited recently. Yeah, so would you consider that moderate to cool climate, Syrah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, New Zealand is so archipelago that there's all these little islands producing really uh, exceptional coastal um, examples of, of things. You know, everyone's on the cool climate bandwagon. Right. That's New Zealand. And so for, for so many people who associate New Zealand with Sauvignon Blanc, and you have this other arsenal of, of interesting regions and grapes and producers. Um, how often do you find that there is an education component to the wine sale table side? Are people surprised to, to find out that, uh, that there's, you know, this much variety? Yeah. And I think actually that's something that I'm having the most fun with is guests come to our restaurant with a really open mind. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about Italian wine is everyone thinks they know more about Italian wine than you do. Mm -hmm. So, there's that kind of combativeness with guests at first, but then they, they'll open up and, you know, you can sell them wine. With New Zealand wine, it's the opposite of that. That's People true. literally close the list and say, hmm. I know nothing about this. Tell me. And especially with the tasting menu component, people sit back, relax, and they allow us to take them on a journey. And having the opportunity to do that with uh, now Michelin-starred chef and a master sommelier who are both from New Zealand is just an incredible opportunity and we're allowed we're able to deliver this experience that uh, celebrates new zealand but celebrates it in the the best possible way that's i want to go there right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know I mean, yeah, I mean, people have really uh, special experiences and unforgettable ones you know yeah, and it's true i mean i can tell you how many of our guests have have been to italy uh at least once or many times I don't know if I know that anyone who's been to New Zealand, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's so far away. Um, and it seems exotic. Uh, mm. I would really personally love to go very much. <laughs> so my trip is booked. I'm going in January. First time in January. Yeah. Oh, wow. It'll be the middle of the summer there, huh? Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Oh, that is, that is really awesome. And then in terms of the, the regions, which are the, the regions in New Zealand you think are the kind of the most promising um, Central Otago, for sure, I think is what right now is putting New Zealand within the, the global conversation of exceptional wine. And that's, is it true that's the, the lowest altitude yeah. or the latitude, the, the lowest latitude in the southern hemisphere? So yeah. it'd be like the most northern, it's the most southern vineyards. Patagonia really. is a close second, mm -hmm. but New Zealand, uh, Central Otago takes the cake. So it's also most. high altitude, right? Is that true? Um, there, it, it, there are some uh, high altitude parts, but 
it's actually contrary to what you find true in most other parts mm. of the world in that the, most of the vineyards are in the valley floor mm -hmm. because okay. uh, what's crucial for them to be able to ripen grapes there is they're protected by a mountain range. And that range traps the uh, Arctic wind that comes in and all that cold air and Arctic moisture is trapped, creating snow-capped mountains so you can go skiing there, actually. Um, and then uh, east of that, it drops into the valley And the valley is where you find the fertile land, and that's uh, where most of the grapes are ripened. So, so interesting for me. I have, I have very little experience with, with New Zealand wine. I mean, not since I did like the, the diploma at the you know, WSET seven years ago or something <laughs> like that, six years ago, if I, if I really uh, paid that much attention because it's not what we work with. So yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to learn more in the, the second half. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, this has been In the Drink with, uh, with Dean Campbell today. Thanks. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food and Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. And we're back on In the Drink. I'm here with Dane Campbell, the head sommelier of the New Zealand-themed musket room, Michelin star musket room uh, down in the Nolita area of uh, downtown New York City. Um, and we're talking New Zealand wine. Uh, it's really something that I have very little experience with. Um, and now I want to explore it uh, much, much more uh, th thanks to Dane. Uh, Dane, I want to ask you about sustainability in, uh, in New Zealand. So New Zealand wine growers have made sustainability a priority, launching an initiative to have 100% of New Zealand wines produced under independently audited environmental programs by 2012. And as of May 2014, 94% were certified sustainable. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on how this environmental focus has impacted wines, producers, perceptions of New Zealand wines? Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to our shared uh, coming up within this, this world of wine, the thing I loved most about Italian wine is, is those really awesome natural producers. Mm -hmm. And when I was first getting into New Zealand wine, that was what made the transition even easier for me because New Zealand is just effortlessly natural. Uh, and with the New Zealand wine growers making this initiati initiative towards sustainability, it's something that we've chosen to uh, even celebrate on our list. Mm -hmm. So the first page of our wine list makes reference to uh, sustainability, organics, and biodynamics. And then there's a key that follows through in the rest of the list that 
notes, each of those producers who have that certification. And how many producers are, are really practicing organics and biodynamics? From my research, it seems like although there's this real big consciousness, consciousness I don't even know. Yeah, you got it. Something like that. Uh, people want to be sustainable. Um, the amount of people who are actually practicing organics are, is small, and the biodynamics is kind of very, very small. Yeah, but growing substantially. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it may be small now, but it's taking off like wildfire. You know, people like James Milton in Gisborne, he's the godfather of biodynamics, not only in New Zealand, but in the Southern Hemisphere. He was one of the first people to take that uh, certification with Demeter and just run full force with it. And uh, we've had his Chenin Blanc on our list by the glass since we opened. And uh, I don't think we're going to be changing that anytime soon. His wines rock. Wow. And, and he himself is a rock star winemaker. Interesting. So, you know, we usually start off the program with uh, wine, the best wine I've had uh, all week. Uh, and of course, like 50% of the time, I, I've forgotten to uh, <laughs> to do that. Um, but I think what, like, what is an iconic, just in uh, this awesome New Zealand wine that you think that, that everyone should, should taste? And, and that will unequivocally prove these are wines that, that are, you know, not only super high quality, but, but wine geekier kind of people would be, would be really into. Sure. Um, well, I think James Shannon certainly sits, uh, fits the bill mm -hmm. in, in that department. But uh, one wine recently that I've absolutely fallen in love with and I, I've shared with a lot of guests and made friends with is um, Nick Mills Rippin Kvirchtraminer. So uh, Nick is another person who's uh, transitioned completely into biodynamics. And he's uh, within central Otago. He's in the Lake Wanaka section, so lakeside vineyards. And his Kvirchtraminer is one of my personal favorite mm. white wines of New Zealand right now. It's a Kvirchtraminer that's vinified almost entirely dry. So it's very grapefruity. And, of course, being in central Otago, it's super mineral-driven. Uh, and uh, given its organic and biodynamic nature, it's just incredibly friendly with food. And uh, that's a uh, that's a bottle that I love opening for for guests and, and geekier people who are mm -hmm. looking for New Zealand wine, but more unique examples of that. And is that something that you do uh, more for the uh, the tasting menu, or do you recommend that for a full uh, a full meal? Because sometimes I think that Gewürztraminers can be so aromatic. Um, and sometimes that that I think for a, a, a certain application, for a certain dish or a couple of dishes, they could be great, but maybe mm -hmm. not something you want to take through a whole meal. Mm -hmm. um, is that kind of in a, a style that you'd like for a whole meal, or is that something you use as an arsenal for a tasting menu? Um, I much prefer using it as an arsenal for a tasting menu, but it's also a bottle that's just incredibly drinkable. Mm -hmm. It's very unique to Converge Demeanor. I, mean, I think a lot of what you'd expect of Converge Demeanor is not necessarily there. Um, come by and I'll open it for yourself. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, almost on a weekly basis, I'll, I'll taste uh, a wine and I, I, you know, we taste a lot of Italian wines and I think of grapes like Lacrimo di Moradalba mm. or even sometimes Ruque, which they're aromatic red grapes. Sure. And I'm like, man, like th this could apply to like one dish in the tasting menu so perfectly. You can have so much fun with it. Yeah. But sometimes I don't want to have like those, for out like through through a whole meal because they're right. so intense and so aromatic mm -hmm. that it, they're not as versatile. But I want I'm really super curious to uh, 
to try this one. Um, you you also have a number of New Zealand beers on the list. Um, yeah. What's the craft beer industry in New Zealand like right now? Blowing up. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, the microbrewery and the craft beer scene in, in New Zealand is is really taken off with full force. And uh, on the global scale, also, their hops are something that a lot of people are paying uh, a lot of attention to because uh, similar to their wines, they're just incredibly unique. So if uh, brewers in other parts of the world want a more uh, unique uh, hop application, New Zealand really delivers on that front. Nelson, in particular, is a a region that is very well-renowned for uh, its hop varieties. Interesting. So a lot of the New Zealand producers are using local hops as oh, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it are they super floral or citrusy hops or Yeah, I think yeah, if you um, consider it in the the IPA application, New Zealand hops compared to what we have here domestically are much more tropical. Mm-hmm. Similar in how you would think about their Sauvignon Blancs. Like our domestic Sauvignon Blanc is a little bit more tame where theirs is super high tone and tropical and uh, just zesty. Uh, their hops are, are sort of that way too. You know, ours in IPAs can be quite piney and resiny, whereas theirs are just uh, super tropical. I mean, on a few of the labels I've read, they, they use the term uh, tropical fruit bowl <laughs> as a descriptor for their uh, IPA. Interesting. Yeah, you, you kind of think of as of hops as being, uh, you know, it's a bittering agent and and flavoring as well, and super tropical isn't isn't that doesn't like <laughs> yeah, I mean, jive with bittering, but that, uh, yeah, that ties in with how just incredibly unique they are. Awesome. I'm, well, again, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a New Zealand beer, so another <laughs> thing to explore at the we're on Elizabeth Street. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, super close to the Picho. Um, yeah, man. We're a couple blocks away from each other. So as you can uh, appreciate, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you have great wines without uh, a a distributor partner. Um, Is there any distributor who has really kind of taken New Zealand wines uh, and taken a stand on them and has multiple really great New Zealand wines? Or are you trying to kind of piece together, you know, one from this distributor, one from a couple labels from another one? Um. There's a, a few people that I really enjoy working with, and you know, on the the larger scale, I think Winebow is a company that has really uh, devoted themselves to the uh, New Zealand um, category, and um, we work with a lot of really small importers. There's this one company, Wine Dogs LLC, that was started by uh, uh, Simon and Magnus, who are both Kiwis, and they've they've both become pretty great friends, and um, they're really. Uh, it's a passion project for them being those pr- pride driven Kiwis that they are. They, they're really working to bring in some really exceptional stuff. Um, and then in addition to all of that, having Cameron, uh, over there in New Zealand is super instrumental. And Cameron and I have, uh, done a few things where, um, a will either, uh, DI wines direct import them, uh, for our list, or we also, when Cameron comes by quarterly, like I mentioned earlier, he'll usually bring a little suitcase of wine. Cameron's suitcase selections have been a Whoa. personal favorite of mine. And those wines, we try to uh, schedule appointments with uh, some importers that we have pretty great relationships with. And we'll um, 
taste them on the wines to try to get them to add them to their portfolio. Okay, so you never them. list the the suitcase wines. Oh uh, well, not officially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and no, just say <laughs> no. <laughs> and we're shaking our head. Yes, you can't see. Um, and uh, I noticed on your uh, by the glass list, you have a few um, sherries and sakes. How does that? How do you approach pairing those with um, with with Matt's cuisine? Yeah. Um, well, one thing in particular is uh, recently our pastry chef Becca, who uh, is doing some incredible work, uh, just started doing a uh, first course dessert with the ten course degustation menu. Uh, that's various textures of carrot mm. so it's like carrot curd carrot sorbet dehydrated carrot cake carrot chips it's just carrot 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 and then with an espresso crumble and i've got this really gorgeous dry oloroso sherry that i've been uh, matching to that and i found that it works really really nicely Really interesting. It reminds me, uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, Dan Barber's book, The Third Plate, right now. Yeah. And uh, he, I guess he, he gets the, the title from the book, a conference he went to, and um, a bunch of chefs were asked to draw what they think a, a future entree will taste like, what well, an entree in 20 or 50 years might, might taste or might look like. Draw, draw it with, uh, with a, a paper and pencil. And he drew three plates, and one was uh, the steak and potatoes from you know 20 years ago 25 years ago and then today was a smaller steak but it's like from a local farm and some like heirloom potatoes and heirloom carrots and then the one in the future was the third plate which is a carrot a big carrot as the main (laughs) with a little bit of like a steak uh a steak sauce Uh, yeah and uh it just it just you know brings brings that to mind it's a great book by the way and uh, i think that's super interesting to really explore because uh, carrots are so meaty, and uh, and that's really all we're going to be able to eat for the next few months in well, the, from the farmers market. Yeah, in New York. While, while we're plugging <laughs> books, my my bartender Chris actually last night just came in with the sherry book that Talia just put put out. Talia, Talia Baiocchi, yeah, yeah. To steal a, a term from Steve Colbert, friend of the show. Oh yeah, and I, I just caught a glimpse of that book, so I haven't cracked it yet. But that's a book, her sherry book, one that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, it's. I think it's a mu- a must have for you know for anyone who's who's interested in sherry, for people in the the wine industry, for uh, it's it's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful book. It's really well priced. It's it's awesome. Um, not to get too competitive, but. <laughs> Do you know who produces the most amount of kiwis in the entire world? I don't. It's not New Zealand. I gathered this much. It's Italy! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Boom. I like uh, that. <laughs> uh, but New Zealand's uh, number two. Uh, <laughs> their, their citrus is pretty wild. Pretty, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Dane, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> um, for sure, uh, we'll come. We'll be come visiting uh, soon, and uh, and all of you should do that uh, as well. Um, uh, it, there is so much, so much to explore with uh, with New Zealand wine, and uh, I've known Dane for for years right now. Uh, one of the nicest guys around in the industry. So thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, great to have you on the show, and thanks so much for for listening. This has been in the drink on Heritage Radio Network dot org. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 